0: welcome back. This is episode one, part two of "Grab Your Why." Back here with my pops, Kirk Garrett, KG. Uh, if you haven't watched part, if you haven't watched part one yet, go back and watch it. Um, it, it was I, I learned some new things uh, during that conversation, and um, I, again, the whole point of this is to lay a foundation for "Grab Your Why." This is my foundation, and I really believe it's the foundation for. Um, the entire idea and concept for grab your why so it's important that we um go through it and i I hope that that if you're listening uh watching that you'll go back and check that out um but where we left off with pops from part one was when i came into the picture so um for those of you who, who if you haven't uh watched or listened to part one um uh, uh, my pops is um, at a point where he's um, gone and gotten a degree in chemistry from North Carolina Central University. Um, he was switching uh, paths from art to, uh, to science, which was the plan initially. Um, that got slightly, um, I don't know if we'll call it derailed. Um, and um, at this point, he's looking at possibly doing a Ph.D., um, but second baby number two comes Things and that's happen. me. Things happen. Life happens, right? And and so I'm I'm this I'm the second born. I have an older brother. I uh, was a couple of years older than me, so I coming into the picture. And now you're a dad of two. You have to go to work, right? Um. So so I guess where we could start is. So where were you working? What were you doing? Give us a little bit of that. And then we'll jump into some other stuff and more, more, more about me. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, tell tell me more about work, what that looked like. So
1: it, I often say there are very few uh, truly linear plans and linear careers. Uh, when I see them, I'm amazed and excited for people who can do that. Um, for me, uh, the plan was before you were born to was to, pursue a PhD. Um, I looked uh, solid, like a solid candidate uh, after doing that um, two research projects at NC Central in chemistry and then a uh, National Science Foundation uh, program at Duke. The graduate school dean um, actually was uh, the uh, program director that I did the National Science Foundation program with, so he saw my work directly. Um, And Uh, Invited me to their PhD program uh, in chemistry. Um, That same summer, we found out uh, you were uh, coming, and so things changed. I um, opted to take a job um, and took a job at um, East Carolina University um, as a researcher in. A very large diabetes program headed by then a Dr. Jose Carro. And under uh, his group, there was a, another scientist heading a program in genetics named Carolyn Stieglitz. And Carolyn's program, she uh, selected me um, um, to be in her genetics program um, and do research with her. I thought a biology student would have been more fitting. She thought a chemistry student was best. Three months after that, I got picked up by Burroughs Welcome uh, Pharmaceutical Company um, and then worked as a bench scientist there doing process optimizations and some
0: cool stuff. Got you, got you. Okay. So, and, and at this point we're living in Greenville, North Carolina. We moved from um, Durham in
1: um, North Carolina Central uh, University and to Greenville,
0: North Carolina. Got you, got you. So shout out to Greenville, G. Vegas, um, as some folks call it, down in Eastern North Carolina, um, and and so so I you know I kind of want to jump in here because some of my earliest memories really they start in Greenville, North Carolina, and what I what I understood I obviously I didn't have any of the context around what was going on before I was born or why you chose science or any of that, but what I knew you as. Um, my earliest memories were as a a scientist who worked for a chemical company. That's what I could understand at what, four or five, six years old, right? My dad works for a chemical company. He's a scientist, but my dad's also an artist. And so, one of the things when I was reflecting yesterday was that I heard you a lot as a scientist. I listened to you as a scientist coming back from work, long hours and things, right? And coming back and talking about chemical compounds, molecules. Our Molecules, one of the earliest words I can remember outside of just kind of standard English. So that's what I knew you as um, verbally, but in practice, you were an artist. Art all around the house. You had a studio, GFA, Garrett Fine Arts. We're working on GFA 2.0. Um, and so you, but, so you're, but you practice as an artist. And so I think early on, I got this sense that you were like a, uh, uh, you were a complex person that you were, you, but it, it didn't seem complex. You could do both. And I think that gave me permission and gave me the idea that, okay, I could be an artist and a scientist. I can be an athlete and a a business person. I can kind of do all of that because I saw you do a little bit of, of everything. So, you know, from, from what you talked about in, in part one, you talked about being an explorer. And all those things did did it ever occur to you? Let me ask you this: Did it ever occur to you that you were doing that you were in these what most people would say are two very different worlds as far as art and science? Did it ever feel like that to you? Did you just embrace it, or was it all of it just natural and it just kind of blended and meshed together? So,
1: um, I I sort of always thought of myself as an artist, um, and I. I thought of myself sort of naturally as an artist. It started somewhere before school, before kindergarten and all that stuff. Um, I think the very first uh, thoughts I had about being an artist came from my dad. I saw him sketching, uh, really drawing with an ink pen on white paper. And he would draw these uh, basically Quickly, lines that were intersecting with each other, and eventually made something that looked like uh, wire mesh that's joined together. So that was um, probably my first impressions about art. So I tried to imitate him. There was always white paper around. He worked at a pulp and paper company, uh, warehouser, and he brought home their irregular paper. It was slightly off-colored, uh, mostly, uh, so it got kind of thrown away, mm-hmm. and Dad and others were permitted to bring that paper home. I used that paper through my entire um, um, elementary through high school, just writing on uh, blank paper and drawing, so I had lots of paper. He kept also lots of then um, what we call ballpoint pens, um, and. I used those pens to draw with, Um, so there was lots and lots of resources around to draw on. uh, You know, especially eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. Um, So I I saw myself as an artist, sort of naturally, and I I also felt that I needed something else to help define me, and um, I wanted something challenging, Um, and I felt that the sciences was that area. I felt sort of I had the art under my buckle um, and I needed something else to help define you know, more who Kirk Garrett is. And so the
0: sciences really did appeal to me. So was it, it so they were, so they were two distinct worlds then. Clearly. You saw them very distinctly, Clearly. art and science. Clearly, Interesting. they were always uh, very distinct in,
1: in my mind. Um, like I said, it's the art uh, ability, especially drawing, came natural, if you will. Um, and I think it's maybe difficult to uh, quantitate um, a scientific inclination or scientific talent. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, mm-hmm. um, I may have been capable um, scientist then, but it wasn't a clear way to demonstrate that to anyone. Um, but the art came readily available when you compared me to all the brothers and sisters that are drawing, mm-hmm. and then they start to compare me to uh, the other um, elite artists in the community, a guy named Romell Hooker, for example, was known to be a very good artist. And then we had a sort of artist-in-residence who was sort of above everybody, a guy named Erskine Spruel. Yeah. And little Plymouth, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, looking at it, looking at it was really kind of interesting how you could even evaluate whether someone had potentially the uh, science inclinations or talent. You know,
0: so I'm going, I'll just share a, a thought because I think I mentioned this to you. Um, we, t- we had this conversation maybe in the last couple of years where I was talking about the accessibility of art versus science. Right. And, and, um, you know, thinking about STEM, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math, which I don't think was really a, a well-known acronym. I would say Pro- I'm sure. When you were coming up and, and even when I was coming up, I don't remember a lot of talk about STEM. It was a thing, but not nearly as prominent as it is now, but, um, the stem and the sciences can be the scientific community as we as we kind of named it um isn't always easy it's not embracing necessarily right like and like you said it's not easily quantifiable who's who's talented who's good who should participate who you know who should be brought in and lifted up and, and encouraged but in art it's a lot broader, it's a lot easier, I think, to be embraced, encouraged, and encouraged, to, and to feel that, right? Um, and to call yourself an artist, it's a lot easier to call yourself an artist than it is to call yourself uh, a scientist. And I think what we've always shared is that anybody should be able to call themselves a scientist, right? Like, that accessibility should be there. And so that's something that, that I always felt, um, and it's interesting, even here, you say like, the that you wanted a challenge, and science represented a challenge, something that could help define you. But you wanted something challenging, and that's why I pursued science. That's why I, I actually pursued a, a degree in chemistry, um, and, and it, it wasn't so much because you were a chemist, and I and I was always afraid of that too, to to. To be just like you absolutely I never wanted to be just like you um and, and so I was afraid of following too closely in your footsteps and just being Kurt Jr right you don't have any juniors but I I, I just was afraid of being Kurt Jr and I, I think you didn't have juniors for a reason you yeah it wanted was on us, purpose it was right?
1: on purpose not to name one of you guys uh junior um, right. I didn't want you having the pressure of trying to uh compare yourself perhaps to me and uh, I wanted you to have the freedom of deciding what you wanted to do. Right. Um, interestingly, you said a few minutes ago, I think that the point is worthy here. Um, you showed a, um, a, a really outstanding, um, capability in the arts early on, but it didn't seem to, um, matter to you you pushed it away and kept going at all the other interests that you had um when i think it was clear that there was enough there for you to push toward a career Mm -hmm. Uh, i found that really interesting and i didn't bother it um i complimented the work um it's still around here somewhere we say some of your early pieces they showed they showed clear talent um but it also you didn't uh, follow up on the interest of it so um like myself figuring that you're seeing something else
0: you know and, and it's interesting because even now when you when you talked about it like your early your early identity was around art right it was easy it was just, it was accessible and it was for me as well right I remember, the packs and packs of paper we just always had. We always had blank eight and a half. Five, you got it from paper. my dad. So, right, same my thing, dad, right? 10 or 12, 15, 20 packs
1: from right. them a year.
0: Right. Let's bring them to the house. Or, or more, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, we had cases of it. So so I remember that, and pencil, and then your art box, and so we had access to your, your yeah. art box, always. the little orange joint always. popped up. And so that was like, having that, it was, it was always there. But you're right. I never identified as an artist, and it's interesting. I think what we've done is we kind of moved uh, in inverse, right? I, I, not that I saw myself so much as a scientist, but I pursued science because, in part, because of the challenge. I needed something challenging, and chemistry was familiar enough because I was exposed to it because of you, but it wasn't. It wasn't so familiar that it was just easy. And and so I wanted the challenge of that, and I think now is where I'm starting to see myself and calling myself an artist <laughs> again, but yeah. in very different ways. And very so cool. I'm I'm kind of flipping it. Oh yeah, right? I'm seeing it. Um, and I'll talk more about you know my my journey in, in, in different at different points and um why I pursued the sciences I did and things like that. But yeah, I, I just that that part just really stood out to me. The challenge, the early Kind of identity piece, and then how, how that how that changed. Um, so anyway, good good. This is a good part of the conversation. Um, but I wanted to ask you one of the things that we talked about, and one of the things that came to mind for me as well, was identity because you were the first person, right, who I had to model myself after. Right, I would say you, and then my older brother right my older brother was like my hero that was my that he was the you know close in age grew up together cool dude good looking guy like all the athletic all the stuff that little little boys especially little black boys yeah. you know in, in the south like you know you name it like that would you know he he checked so many of those boxes and and so he was like a hero for me but as far as who i modeled myself after as a person and that felt long standing and as a man was you and and so um but i'm curious for you as a father of two black boys two boys right two black but we're two black boys obviously what was like what were some of the things that were on your mind as far as you know did you have things on your mind as far as a plan and what you you wanted for us and what Kind of values you thought you needed to instill, um, yeah. What kind of things were on your mind as a father of two, two boys?
1: So your mom and I sort of always had an idea that that family was first, uh, the children were first. Um, I think we came out of both of us came out of that environment. And we shared that belief. So the idea was to try to mature uh, some emotionally strong children who had a respect for education. And who could um, have uh, individual personal confidence that they were capable of uh, navigating the educational system, understanding the ability to go into a classroom, consume the materials properly, excel at those materials, and then take a break from that. And at the same time, enjoy all the wonders of of a balanced childhood without being put into pressure to... Uh, over-excel. And uh, that, I think, was the goal. We wanted to see some emotionally balanced children who uh, could excel academically, step away from that, have fun, be a kid, and then go back into that. And then you would mature uh, into adulthood. That sort of was the overall plan. And and my goal was to not become uh, too pushy. And she reminded me uh, when I pushed heavily that uh, there's some emotional uh, place that you guys should be uh, and not just uh, uh, strong, exceptionally strong academically. And, and uh, I have to tell you that helped balance my attitude towards not over pushing you to uh, become academically uh, very, very strong and then uh, poor emotionally emotionally um, in your interactions with us, and that that I didn't become a taskmaster such that you really hated me, rather than we have a relationship, and I continue to follow that philosophy with the four of you uh, individually. I thought of you, I measured best I could uh, your abilities, um, gauged and watched them as she did, and then uh, pulled back times when I really wanted to put pressure on you and thought that your emotional
0: uh, um, um, balance, and your emotional state would always be good. Gotcha. That I mean that that makes a lot of sense because I I, I felt a lot of that and, and so much of this right when you I think with life you 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 you're living you're too busy living to try to for the most part to try to s- take a step back and analyze everything you're doing and categorize it and all that and I think I do a lot more of that now and thinking about and reflecting on my childhood and reflecting really probably over reflecting and over analyzing (laughs) even what I'm doing now and today, right. And trying to figure out where does this come from? What are these tendencies? Where, where, you know, where did this originate? But when I think back on it, I think you hit it on the head that I I always felt that, that you all wanted um, you all were interested in me being a whole balanced um person who, who was authentic to me. I didn't I never felt like I had a ton of pressure. I definitely never felt like I had pressure to be you. I think we had a lot of similar uh, we had a lot of similarities growing up. I was called Lil Kurt. Anybody who knew you growing up said, man, you definitely Kurt son, right? Everybody said I look just like you. And I, I never quite saw it. I never thought I really looked just like you. Um and then until I saw a picture of you a few years ago from college. And I thought it was a picture of me. Wow. And that tripped me out. Um, I think
1: I know the picture you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Um, but the, but the, but what I did, what is, you know, a little bit of a sidebar. One thing that I did think growing up, I always thought I was a darker skinned dude. I always thought I was a dark brown dude because this man who I know my dad is a dark brown dude. And so I don't know if it was late in elementary school, probably, maybe early middle school. Somebody called me light-skinned or said something. It was probably, I'm sure it was it was probably elementary school. And I was legitimately confused. Like, well, I'm light-skinned. You know, it wasn't it was something that was prominent in my head, like, yeah, I'm light-skinned or I'm dark-skinned. And that, that wasn't a thing for me, but I remember that and even thinking, like, even though I mean, obviously I look at myself now, I think I'm a, a lighter guy, right? And, and a lighter brown guy, obviously we're not the same skin complexion, mm-hmm. but you being my dad and being the first kind of man who I'm like modeled after people say, I look like you, I, we have same tendencies. I'm, I'm starting to, you know, I have shoot people. Can, if you're watching, you could probably see us. If you're listening, you could probably hear us. We sound similar. Um, um, we have a lot of the same mannerisms and tendencies I'm slowly turning into you the older yeah. I get um sorry. which is I know big sorry cuz we, <laughs> we get on you so hard right me and my, no other, my other siblings get at you so hard but we do all the same stuff I know I do all, all so much of the same stuff you do but um that was something that was really that that was really interesting but I never felt pushed to be like you I never felt like I was supposed to be anything except Brian and um Yeah. So, so, you know, part of what you talked about, some of the things that came to mind for me in thinking about you as a, as a, as a little boy growing up, right? My dad felt very accessible. I felt like I had access to you. I had a, I had a relationship with you, right? It wasn't, um, you weren't, you didn't play a role. You were a person, you weren't a figure, you were a real human being who I knew. And who wanted to know me and who i wanted to know cool. and you wanted me to know about you and i think that was really important that it, accessibility um i think the the um the level of grace that you gave other people i think was really important Not something that i feel like is necessary. especially thinking back wasn't something that I, I felt or even feel even now is necessarily a, a, a large pillar of you know traditional masculinity and being a man giving grace isn't, isn't going to hit the top 10. Right. And I felt like that's something that you always had. Um, and, and, and yeah. And I think just the overall relationship that you're a relationship driven person, um, with me, with other people, um, like the, 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 kindness and things that you show, I think that was a lot of those early, um, elements that I saw in you, that helped me kind of model who I am uh, and lay a foundation for me um, as a man. And so I saw that as a boy and I think that was really important. Um, but I want to touch on two, two pieces, two conversations from, from early on that I remember that laid a foundation for me. And the first one is the cool, the conversation of the cool. So i, I I'll, I'll give it, I, I'll, I'll give my, I'll give a quick intro of what it means to me, of what the cool was, Mm -hmm. what that conversation was or is. The cool is a conversation about, it's the cool factor or what is cool? That was the question. That's really what it is. What is cool? That, right? Cool was a word that, I mean, that was the word of the day, right? This is early 90s. And obviously, cool is, been around since you know before and and since but for us as little boys me and my older brother being cool was really important yeah. right yeah. and so yeah. I remember the conversation was what is cool so so for you what was that conversation and how, how do you describe how do you define cool right yeah so um
1: as a parent you sort of gauge things and I remember the conversation um, I was a little surprised that it became so profound to you guys um, because I wanted to make a point and I thought I'd had to make it again and again. Uh, but I found out that I only had to make that point one time and you guys got it. I guess you could say you were ready for it. It intersected at the right time. You know, I am about intersections. Intersections are just real cool markers You know, as a scientist, intersections are so important to help you solve problems. I think we intersected at just the right point. And it's interesting that you and your older brother, Harris, um, were at at that point to hear the cool conversation. And the cool conversation was something that I got growing up. Um, And it wasn't a conversation that was shared with me, but was more demonstrated to me. My dad had a certain kind of confidence A kind of suave um a relaxed uh, position with himself he interacted as i mentioned in part one with lots and lots of men and lots and lots of people in our community and lots and lots of women we were involved in the church very heavily but i always saw him relaxed moving through crowds greeting people saying hello and being relaxed and coming home with the same kind of cool just a kind of real Laid backness, a great smile. Uh, He had a gap in his teeth, but this guy was like somebody who was really, really just kind of warm. His friends seemed to love him. They were always glad to see him. He had a big old smile and a big laugh. Um, Food was always a part of what he did with his friends in general. So they would uh, share meals or come over. and, And whenever they came to the house, the house would fill up to another level with laughter. And I saw my dad um, demonstrate that. Then I saw it in my brother, my older brother, four years older than me, Joe. He was um, also relaxed, you know, got to the place where he started to understand that, you know, uh, for him, uh, uh, things were a little bit tougher. Um, There were some um, um, gang-like, elements in the community at his teenage years, four years ahead of me. And, uh, he had to defend himself at times. He had uh, friends and then he had enemies, uh, in, uh, in our little small town. And inside all that, he also had to establish a sense of being relaxed with also our economic condition. Uh, my dad earned, worked at a local warehouser company and, uh, that's how he provided for uh, us. My mom was a stay home mo- mother and thank God for that because it really helped ground us emotionally. It was a wonderful time being there with her so many years. Um, and I have incredible wonderful memories about that. But when you talk about that cool factor, my brother um, got to a place where he was l- relaxed with himself. And, and, and this cool, is this type of relaxation a type of self-confidence that you carry around independently uh, like a little halo and, and it settles you, it grounds you, it quietens you and allows you to become an observer of your environment. Mm-hmm. So the cool that I talked to you and your brother about at that time, um, and then that today comes one of those topics that we talk about all, often. We, we ref, reference often that cool was about, Hey guys, it's time to forget about who got the coolest clothes outside, who's got a cell phone, who doesn't, you know, who's got a bigger house.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't even those cell phones right. at the time. Who has, who has money, who
1: doesn't, who takes longer trips. Those kind of things that, you know, people talk about. It's important that you understand that you're cool and that cool comes from the inside. Mm-hmm. The cool isn't on the outside about what you wear and cool isn't about the fact that you can brag about where you've been cool is about how you feel about yourself inside where no one else can see. Are you cool enough to stand in a room by yourself alone? If nobody else supports you, are you cool enough to walk alone when you disagree with friends who are popular? Is it cool enough for you to feel that, that particular girl that you want at that time doesn't want you but you still feel good enough about yourself to keep your head up. Are you cool enough to be confident with what you wear Mm -hmm. and then know that that doesn't Mm. define you but that you are defined by something inside of you that's innate. That's what cool is. It was interesting that you guys got it on the first glimpse i have to say and now in retrospect it looked like you guys were hungry for it you were ready for it you heard it you grasped it you never forgot it and you live it yeah Yeah, and i have
0: to say i'm really proud about that yeah no that's that's real i i think uh it it, it was i mean i'm thinking this was probably i mean we were young man I, i i don't know that i was much older than six or seven really and, and so yeah, that, that, that would have put Harris about yeah, yeah nine, was, ten, yeah. Um, so I think I think it was because I mean, obviously, I mean, to to people, right? Like appearance is important, obviously, right? Um, and and I don't want to try to make a whole bunch of social commentary on like you know, that's, that's not what I am. It's not my background, and I, I'm 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 an expert in my experience, right, in, in my life's experience, but um. It, it, it there are tons of social pressures when you're a child and i think especially when you're a black boy like there's a lot of pressure um to be a lot of things to be a lot of different things and all of it doesn't necessarily drive with you and it wasn't that like clothes weren't important like we still wanted the still wanted sure, but at that time batman toys right i still wanted certain um um certain clothes certain shoes i didn't have any jordans right i started seeing jordans i'm like dang i ain't got no jays but the the that conversation was something that stuck with me and it did ground me because it did what i understood was and what you always asked was so what is cool define cool and we started out by saying oh it's this and you wear this and you look like that. and we we're doing all the external stuff Nah, what's cool and eventually what we got to is cool is mm-hmm cool just is Mm -hmm. and that was really profound for me then and what it was it was a social it was a way of grounding me socially right so that I wasn't so um easily and and quickly influenced and um and 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 fragile Mm. right that I could go back into myself right And, and and be and be yep. okay, right? It's mm-hmm. a it's a state of being cool is, and when and I remember the first time I probably heard you say that, and I, I probably I probably thought about that for weeks, and I think everywhere I went I would just think about it and and I looked and I became more observant and I observed myself and, and um but that was a really important conversation, um so and thanks for giving the context on that I, I never, I don't know that we've ever dived into, you know your dad and and. Yeah, well there's there's always a connection,
1: right? If you can't draw a connection and I went back to evaluate where did you get cool from, right? Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? When I started thinking about the pieces, you might I might ultimately um, condense a series of events, conversations, occurrences into something that becomes a single sentence, but they usually have an origin somewhere. Or you're putting some things together, and I think that that's when I reflect, I think that's where cool comes from. Mm-hmm. And you know, as I think about it, that cool just keeps going out farther. Um, um, some of the coolest guys that I see who just represented that evenness were some guys who were always even tempered, always sort of uh, uh, okay in the skin they were in, mm-hmm. and uh, in a sense, walked on air. Uh, because of that calmness that you could feel around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, not easily excitable. Excitable, but not easily. Could always manage uh, stress under a situation uh, so that it appeared that they were had the ability to get uh, an optimized outcome, a positive outcome, rather than just to be completely swayed by the moment or the events. I think that that's kind of a cool. And I have in my mind references of numerous people who were, um, uh, acquaintances and close relatives, um, uncles and cousins mm. who, who, who lived cool.
0: So, so you actually taking it into this, the second conversation. So that's more the social piece, but it, you know, n- none of these things necessarily s- stand alone. Right. But the other piece was the importance of thinking. Right. And this was the, the, um, you know, intellectual and emotional, um, conversation, which, you know, wasn't necessarily, it, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation, right. And, um, throughout my childhood and, and part of adulthood even, um, and I think it's probably evolved now when we kind of communicate and operate on, on a different level now, but the, um, the importance of thinking, Came up it mainly came up when I got in trouble right when we got in trouble it was it was uh you know that was question number one right I at school I met home whatever getting to it with with my brother right I got two other siblings so I might get into it with them uh with, with matt and Ann, and and who, who knows but whatever it was do something dumb do something do something, you know do something dumb and get in trouble and and usually a call was made if you were at work Calls getting made, you already know, I already know, Pops is coming home, he's coming home to, to deal with the situation, and you got all this time to think. Interrogation. Like, right, right, the interrogation's coming, right, the, the you know, you, you're gonna have to, it's gonna be a conversation, um, among, among other things, but it's gonna be a conversation, and the question that always came up was, what were you thinking, and Nine times out of 10, right? what I felt the right answer was, was I wasn't thinking, right? I wasn't thinking because, and and usually you like, yeah, you weren't, (laughs) you weren't thinking. Why weren't you thinking, right? What were you thinking? Why weren't you thinking? How are you gonna approach this thing differently? And what I got from all that was, and, and, and we would talk even more in depth about it, but I became a more critical thinker because of just thinking about, just thinking about thinking was really important, and I don't think it's something that most people do, much less kids, right? But are you thinking about what you're thinking about, right? And what what I heard from you was, by thinking, you can save yourself from certain situations, right? If you get into a situation, you gotta be cool, you gotta remain calm, right? You talked about being even enough so that you can think through a situation you can think yourself out of a situation um but the the importance of of thinking was really that conversation those conversations um were really i think critical to my development as a critical thinker as someone who became more self-aware about where are my thoughts what am i focusing on what am I doing in this moment right having to make a decision do I go left do I go right do I go with these guys do I do this do I do I try it or do I do I fall back that was really um a, a, a critical part of me as a young boy especially a young boy a young black boy who was not not only navigating boyhood but also navigating like some some real, situations when it came to my race and how i was looked at by folks at school by folks in the neighborhood by folks at the mall you name it right i had to navigate things socially and figure out how am i gonna make sure i make it home safely how am i gonna make sure i don't get you know don't get into it with someone and now i'm suspended from school right and 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 so the importance of thinking was a, I mean, those conversations were huge in, in my development and laying a foundation for me. So, I mean, I, I, and I think, I mean, you've kind of described it, but where did where did that part come from? And how did you see that when we had those conversations? What was, what was on your mind when we were having those conversations? So there was uh,
1: an assumption that my kids are smart. You know, you know, lived with you for a while. And it, good aptitude, good ability to reason. Um, that was sort of tested on a regular basis in all the discussions and conversations, and um, we started that with you really, really early, just testing you. Um. So in life, you start to compile um, ideas and conclusions from your life and other people's lives, people close to you and people not close to you. And you look at the incidents of things occurring. And in my way of thinking, um, you can reach some conclusions different than the ones that went bad. It was easy for me to say, hey, had he not done that, he wouldn't have had that trouble. Had he done this, he could have avoided that. Had he done this, he could achieve that. So the idea in terms of talking about trouble and getting in trouble, in my mind, is always a failure in thinking to let trouble come your way not that it comes your way for it to land you at fault or injury. Mm -hmm. I took that to be a personal reflection of me and I consider it to be a personal reflection of you and a failure. If you allow trouble to land at your feet, not, not 100% of the time, but let's say we're expecting you to land on the better side, of the majority of positive outcomes whenever thinking would be an option. Now things come at you that you have no opportunity to think, uh, you know, a tsunami might come and wipe you out. You don't get a chance. It's just overwhelming. But those incidences in which you have a chance because you're a participant or you initiate it and you carry it through to an end and the end winds up negative, bad, an outcome that ad- puts you at adversity, you're going to be called into question about how you allow so many flags to pass you pass you without you halting and stopping the progression. That's what that thinking was about. Are you thinking here are a number of steps that are leading you to a conclusion mm-hmm. that's going to be bad. And I'll try to think of an example. Mm. If you don't
0: I, I have an example. What if you mean?
1: don't if you don't stop at one of those flags, you know, you could wind up in a bad place. Someone could say, you know, it's cascading too fast. It's moving too fast. No, it's not moving too fast. You have to move faster. And your thinking, your decision making can get you there. It's important that you understand that you have places in which you can stop things. Let me leave one radical point. I think it's important in this discussion about thinking. I really believe, and this is how I treat myself, that there are minimally two minds that are going on inside of you anytime and you get two chances, not one, to put a stop To something that could adversely happen I won't say that that whole idea is easy to discern easy to understand even easy to experience but the idea of trying to put yourself in a place to halt a conclusion that could lead to adversity harm hurt damage or even death um, you're responsible for controlling those things personally. You're at the event. You are a participant.
0: You're about to be affected. Take action. Think. So, yeah, no that that makes that makes sense. I, I feel like I'm back in middle school, and I'm, I'm this feels like the the very similar conversations that we had. Um, then and I'll give you an example. It was around fourth or fifth grade, I think fifth grade. Example of multiple this. opportunities. Oh to, wow, I remember it already. To stop. Uh, it, it, it's a. It, it's a. Yeah. It, it, so obviously, it's it's gone. Um, but we, me, my older brother, me and Harris, along with I think two other guys from the neighborhood. Um, there was a a neighborhood of some, some pretty large houses behind the neighborhood we lived in. We were out roaming, whatever, after school one day, um, and ended up getting into it with two guys, two white guys, two white boys from my, from my class. Um, I think we were all in the, the three of us were in the same class and, uh, I don't know how we got into it with them. I played basketball with these guys all the time, whatever it was, no. Real beef, but for whatever reason, this day we get into it with them. We end up following them all the way, talking trash back and forth. Follow them all the way back up to their house, right? You can count the count the flags on your own, right? Um, walk all the way back up to their house, all the way up to to the property. We're on the sidewalk or on the side outside the house, still talking junk. They go up onto the deck, screened-in deck start spraying us with water guns. We grab their water hose on the side of their house, spray them through the screen, spraying the whole deck down. I think about it now. I own a home now. Yeah. You can't you can't run up on my house. <laughs> I don't have a screen in deck, but there's no way you're running up on my crib, spraying down my furniture and all of that. I, uh, that's crazy, right? So just thinking about it as an adult, yeah, I, I, I had whatever L I had coming to me spraying them down talking back and forth this that, and another spray i mean spraying down my man's whole deck with his water hose from his house right oh yeah. oh so real, yeah. some real real suburban gang warfare right uh but the they talking trash one of the guys the guy whose house it was i can't remember it was hunter and kevin i think it was kevin's house kevin's dad's house let me be clear his parents house kevin's dad comes up what are y'all doing Right? What are y'all doing? Obviously confused and upset, and I decided to say, "When his dad is there, and Kevin is there on the deck, I'll beat you in front of your daddy." <laughs> when I tell you those two minds, it came out. It it's it almost felt like it came <laughs> out, and me. Imme- I mean, immediately, I'm like, "You just messed up." Immediately, yeah. that part kicks in. I'm like, "That's it. That's a l. Yeah, you're gonna take it." Whole walk back was like no hype, no yeah we did that. It was like this, this, this was a bad move. Got back and sure enough, you know we had a conversation. We definitely had a conversation, and I, I remember the look, I remember the question. You, you had the nerve to say that in front of you. I mean, you were beside yourself, and, and we had a conversation, but it was about, you know, it was this conversation about thinking, and it, and I'm sure you walked me through so at this point you didn't you didn't think to do something different at this point right and and so we're talking about oh yeah yeah yeah, i mean multiply it by uh, multiply uh, uh, multiply, whatever number that was by two both of us the other two cats uh larry and xavier right i'm calling out people's names who who knows who 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 picked this up but um uh wherever y'all are i hope y'all are good larry and xavier um but yeah i mean that was you know and we're talking about like getting in trouble and thinking out your way out of trouble but it was also you know when when you did think through something and reason through something well it was also all right tell me about how you thought about that tell me about your decisions right and that i think is also really important to affirm i felt affirmed as well in my thinking that i wasn't just making bad decisions that was dumb what are you doing what are you thinking it wasn't that it was also that's interesting man what made you choose that Yep. Right. And so that was also part of the other part. And, you know, me and you, <laughs> we got to we're we're big in the movies. Right. You put me on to, um, you know, being a, 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 a um, you know, a, a, what do you call it? Armchair movie movie critic. Right. Okay. A movie buff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, but what it was, it was really important early on. You were showing us movies that were above you know PG-13 and rated R in some cases hope you, don't, you know hope you know statue limitations is out or whatever but <laughs> um you know we were watching that stuff but we were watching it with a critical lens it wasn't just consuming it for entertainment's sake it was to try to understand who whoever created this what are they trying to communicate to you and what meaning are you extracting from that and i think that was also an important part of my development our development as Thinkers and critical thinkers. Uh, so, where did where did that come from? I don't know if I ever asked you that. Where did your love of movies and cinema dad, and, and critiquing it come from? Uh, the
1: critiquing part, I think, is something I added. But you know, I, again, you think about things, and the hope is you'll be adding to whatever you learn from me, carry to the next generation. That's always a hope of a parent. Um. So my dad was a a big movie fan. Um the church that we grew up in, the Kojic Church, we called it. Church uh, of God in Christ. That's it. Did not permit um those who were members who had confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to go to the movies. When you, we were younger, my dad was not a Christian. I didn't know the difference. So he took us to the movies with him. Mm-hmm. We used to go to see westerns together, and we sat in the segregated section of the movie. Um, um, and we watched these wonderful movies together with your dad present. I can't tell you how what a wonderful, warm feeling it is to sit in a... Um, a movie theater and watch Glenn Ford uh, and other guys on Westerns with your dad Mm -hmm. and your brother. Mm -hmm. And then we take a walk back home or we roll back home. Um, Really warm times. Um, Then that stopped. Then we watched movies at home. And we watched them together as a family. We loved staying up after 11 to see what we called then the late movies. Um, and we watched them with him. So he was always in the mood to watch a movie whenever he wasn't working outside, uh, doing his second job as a freelance automotive mechanic. really known on as a good mechanic in the community. So that whole idea of watching movies was just sort of naturally a part of our family. And my dad being present with us was also an extra layer of warmth to think of it that way. So when I have my family, I'll keep the tradition of watching movies. But now I've turned up watching movies since I left him. I'm watching all sorts of things. When I go to college, the university library has a stack of movies and TVs that you can put a VHS tape in or a beta tape in and watch any movie from their catalog. So I saw incredible movies. And when I talk to you guys sometimes about my movie list and I have an ongoing movie list, I talk about my vault list and whether you can get my vault list. I found a few of my vault films from the university catalogs that being said the idea uh is that now i'm enjoying things like not just actor names but a director here and there and also more importantly what's the movie teaching what's the movie theme a buddy of mine we used to talk and he goes kurt i don't go to the movie for for analysis and the movie to teach me anything i go to the movie strictly for uh, enjoyment and entertainment. I'm like, man, I think that's wonderful that you can do that. I go there and I look at the lessons, uh, a lot of time I can enjoy it, but the work that's been put into crafting a story and trying to deliver a message to you a multiple messages with visual images that lots of us w- watch I feel like they're trying to send me a message and I'm trying to discern that message. I'm trying to decode it in some cases Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to understand what it means. And so when I have my kids, that's what we do. We get into movies and we try to decode. We try to understand what the movie means. We have a discussion about what we thought different elements in the movie means and, um, we try to predict where we think the movie's going, um, what we think characters are doing, who will be better fit, where there are successes and where there are failures. That whole level of movies, again, comes from what I think is a progression of uh, movie watching
0: that started with primarily my father. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I might I mean, even have an idea, man. Maybe we need to... Do a do a top ten list. It'd and, be cool. And, 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 and yeah, talk through we should it. Give the, give, 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 give top it to the two. people, man. Absolutely. So um, so yeah, I, I think um, I think through those, you know, just kind of recapping that, right? Through those two conversations about the cool and the importance of thinking and and analysis and, and critical thinking, right? Not just accepting the world as is and everything as is, but think, but um critiquing the world around you yeah we have a perspective on things right yeah
1: that might not fit with what their perspective is they may Mm -hmm. be trying to send a message to us that we disagree with Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's cool to be able to talk about the fact that we didn't like the message we didn't like Mm -hmm. who portrayed the message we felt that the message was contrary and contradictory or the message was definitely against us whether the message was forced whether the message was subtle or obvious i think those are things that You know, we like to lift from the movies that we watch what's
0: entertaining, what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think actually what you just described, that's what grab your wise here. What you just said, while you're speaking about directors and producers of movies, I'm critiquing the world as is. I have a perspective, and I think there are multiple perspectives. You, as close as we are, still have different perspectives on of the world, of this society, of what it means to be a man, of what it means to be a black man, how inclusive or restrictive that is, how of the different identities we can possess of who's in and who's out. All of that, and I think just exactly what you described is grab your why. We're here to critique the world around us, how we engage with it. The messages we're being told of who we are, Hmm. and I think that all those messages aren't, first of all, they're not true, and I don't think they all serve us, and I don't think that serves um, our communities. I don't think it serves society. I don't think it serves humanity. And I think we can take a different lens and a different look of what, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a black man. So I think you just said it perfectly. And, um, I think what we'll do is I'm going to cap it right here and we'll continue the conversation. And uh, we probably need to go ahead and get part three going. Um, I, I think it's even in some ways obvious the way that our relationship has, has is evolving, um, has evolved and continues to evolve. But um, I think you just said it. And interestingly, and it, and it makes sense that it would come from movies. As much time as we've spent hours and hours looking at movies and critiquing them, that that is, I think, where I'm moving to and how I'm now looking at the world. So thank you for passing down um, not only that, the cool, the foundation, the affirmations, the, um, the, the accessibility to you as a person um, from the time that I was, from the time that I can remember all the way to now to be able to even be so accessible to be on a camera and on a microphone to share things about you and, and how a foundation that was laid over 60 years ago, how that laid a foundation for me and continues to, we're continuing to build on. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, We'll close it out here. Episode one, part two, grab your why. Kurt Garrett, my pops. Peace. Peace.